Ephesians chapter 5, that's in the New Testament, one of Paul's letters. You are always welcome to use your table of contents without shame. And if you ever get stuck, how do I find these little letters? Let me give you a tip that my father passed on to me many years ago. It goes like this, General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Stuck. Free advice. Lord, would you help me now as I seek to preach your word during this part of our time with you? Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for the work that, that you've done in September's life, the, the good fruit of walking in community. Lord, thank you for the work you've done through her and the lives of the other women she mentions. And I pray that more and more our church would be a place that is known for gracious, persistent, gospel-centered community. Would you use the words I speak now to advance that? Lord, we know that we can't enjoy true community among men apart from pursuing true fellowship with you. And you speak to us and we hear from you through your word. Thank you that I don't have to stand up here and come up with things that I think are good or wise. You have said decisively what is good and wise. So King Jesus, speak your word today in your son's name for your glory. Amen. Amen. Oh, it's so good to be back. I was on a break this summer. Last Sunday was actually my first Sunday back. Uh, but the thought of preaching God's word this week filled me with joy and a certain degree of what I think is healthy fear because this is a holy responsibility and a privilege. And you should know, this is great fun. It's great fun. When you are doing what God has in some way made you to do, there is joy in it, even when it's hard work. That's true for all of us. So I'm thankful to be with you today. We're continuing our series on Ephesians and as I mentioned earlier, we've called that series United because Ephesians, if it makes one thing clear, it says this, that God is on a cosmic mission to unite all things in Christ. And he's accomplishing that mission by changing you and me more and more into the image of Christ. So it works like this. God created us, all of us, in his image. We have corrupted that image through our sin, our disobedience. But praise God, he's now in the business of restoring his image in us through the power of the gospel. We were given his image, we corrupted his image, and now he's restoring his image in us. And that work that God's doing requires a response, church. We have a choice to make. It's very simple. We can either allow God to accomplish his redemptive work in our life, or we can resist it. To those who submit to that work and walk in his ways, God promises eternal life. To those who resist his work and refuse to walk in his ways, to not submit to his cosmic plan to unite all things in Christ, then he promises eternal punishment. And so it shouldn't come as a surprise 
that if you look at Ephesians 5 verse 15, that Paul launches into a sober warning. We're going to look at verses 15 to 21, and Paul begins with this warning. Look carefully how you walk. I want us just to think about that for a minute. Notice Paul is not making a suggestion. He's not. He's not offering a piece of advice for your consideration. He is issuing a command to you. The Lord, properly, is commanding you to do something. In verse 15, look carefully how you walk. And the reason Paul says that as a command is because he knows something. He knows, church, that the conduct of our life has eternal implications. Eternal implications. Usually, I read the entire text for a sermon and then I preach on it. But this morning, I want to do something a little different and pause here with this one phrase, look carefully how you walk. And the reason I want to do that is that that I have a pastoral concern for us. Pastoral concern. When I look back on the first 20 years of our church history, 20 plus years, my heart is filled with gratitude. I mean that. There's a lot to thank God for, okay? I thank God for gospel-centered community. I thank God for gospel-centered teaching. He's blessed us with those things for a long time. Okay, when we think about our past as a church, no less than our past in our individual lives, the first thing that should rise to our hearts is always gratitude, because God is always at work, okay? And yet at the same time, when I look back, if I think there was one error we were prone to fall into as a church family over many years, I think it was the error of legalism, okay? By that I mean of trying to earn love or acceptance from God through obedience to God. And I think, I think God's helped us in recent years to learn to relate to him and thus to other people on the basis of grace, on the basis of our performance. You know, it's interesting how things like messy church splits make you realize, man, I'm not the exception to the rule, though I seriously need the grace of God, and so does my church. <laughs> Okay, and as we learn just how gracious God's been to us in Jesus, we're able to relate to other people on the basis of that grace. God has been helping us to do that. I hope you've seen that over the last couple years if you've been here for a while. But let me tell you something. As I pray over us for you, I see another temptation knocking at the door. If the temptation in years past for us was, legalism okay i see another temptation knocking at the door now that i think is getting louder because of some voices in our culture and here's what they're saying because something like this when it comes to eternal salvation it doesn't really matter how you live it's all about jesus it's all about grace It's his obedience that counts, not yours. It's his holiness God sees, not yours. So so relax, receive the grace, grace, brother, for for freedom Christ has set us free. You know, quit quit being so legalistic about everything in your life. Just, Just chill out, man. Grace, 
grace. You know what that doesn't sound like? It doesn't sound like the Apostle Paul. (laughs) It doesn't. It doesn't. Why? Because that's not the implication of the gospel. What does Paul say? Look carefully how you walk. Why? Because the conduct of your life couldn't be more important. I'll say it this way. The, The God of Israel who said in the Old Testament, you shall be holy as I am holy, did not get an extreme makeover in the New Testament. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't go through an identity crisis. You know, I used to care about the holiness of my people, but, but now it's like, dude, it's all about Jesus, man. No. No, he didn't. He doesn't change. The grace that saves us, as Kevin read from Titus 2 earlier, is the grace that sanctifies us. The same grace that saves you in Christ is the grace that changes you in Christ. There's no such thing as a Christian that's not following Jesus. That doesn't exist. That means that there's a kind of life in you and the people around you that offers us a soul-strengthening assurance of salvation. And there's a kind of life that should cause you and the people around you to question your salvation. So, Paul says, what? Look carefully how you Look carefully. Now, I think of Philippe Petit. Any of you see the movie The Walk? Came out last year. Well, on August 7th, 1974, this man crossed the 200 feet between the um, Twin Towers of the World Trade Center eight times on a one-inch tightrope with no safety harness. For real. Yeah, I get queasy thinking about it. (laughs) I don't think anyone had to tell Philippe Petit, hey man, um, you know, I just had a brilliant idea. I know you're about to do this stunt thing. I just realized you should be careful how you walk. (laughs) No! No, why, why didn't they have to tell him that? Because it was blindingly obvious that he had better be careful how he walked. Because the physical consequences of failing to do so were crystal clear and could not be more frightening. Friend, I warn you, the consequences of failing to look carefully how you walk spiritually are not one bit less clear and they are far more frightening. We have to strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Or we're not going to make it. Look carefully how you walk. Let's keep reading. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, if we're going to look carefully how we walk, that's what Paul wants us to do. That's the banner over this text. Look carefully how you walk. Well, then we have to do at least two things. 
Okay? These are two points for this morning. First, we have to pursue the wisdom God provides. And second, we have to be filled with the Spirit. If you want to look carefully how you walk in a spiritual sense, you have to pursue the wisdom God provides, and you have to be filled with the Spirit. We're going to see very soon that those things are really, really connected. <laughs> but we're going to consider them separately first. So let's begin with point one, verses 15 to 18, pursue the wisdom of God. He says, as I read a minute ago, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Don't go defining wisdom on Paul's behalf for him. Don't do it. Resist. Okay, why? Because he defines it for us. In Ephesians 1, Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That should tell us at least three things about what Paul means when he starts talking about wisdom. Okay, when he says that, he's not throwing it out like, you know, and whatever you want to fill in that blank, what's wise for you, you gotta go with it. No, he defines it, okay? Well, what does that verse in Ephesians 1 tell us about true wisdom? First, it originates in the mind of God. True wisdom always originates in the mind of God. Why? Because Paul's prayer that God would give the Ephesians wisdom, Lord, would you give these people wisdom? That only makes sense if God possesses it in the first place, right? Why ask God to give it if Paul knows he doesn't have it? What originates in the mind of God, and we know that's true because of what Bob read earlier from Proverbs 8. 22, the Lord possessed me, the persona of wisdom says, at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was discovered by man. He did go, I was set up, created at the first, before the beginning of the earth. Wisdom existed, this is crazy, before you and I were even created. You try to wrap your mind around that. Well, what, what, is that what does that tell us? Well, that tells us, this is so important, that the origin of wisdom lies above us and beyond us. Okay? And that means if it originates in the mind of God, it's not the product of human observation or human intuition. It comes from a divine creation. First thing you've got to say about wisdom, it originates in the mind of God. Here's the second. Ephesians 1 tells us wisdom is revealed by the grace of God. It originates in the mind of God. It's revealed by the grace of God. Notice Paul doesn't pray that the Ephesians would discover wisdom or find wisdom. He prays what? That God would give you wisdom. May God give you a spirit of wisdom. Or as the author of James says in James 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should what? Ask God. Why? Well, because the God in whose mind wisdom originates praised to his name, also happens to be in the business of revealing his wisdom to us. It originates in the mind of God, it's revealed by the grace of God, and we will never know it if he does not reveal it. And then third, last thing, Paul's definition of wisdom, this is so critical, friends. Ephesians 1 tells us that wisdom is centered on the person and work of Christ. 
It originates in the mind of God, it's revealed by the grace of God, and it's centered on the person and work of Christ. Why do I say that? Because of what Paul prays, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you a spirit of generic wisdom and revelation. No. (laughs) May give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Please hear me on this point. Okay, there is a focal point to the wisdom of God. It has, if you would, a gravitational center an apex, a a fountainhead out of which all other wisdom flows. What's that? It's the knowledge of Christ. Who Jesus is and what God is doing in the world in and through him. That's the center of God's wisdom, which is why Paul praises God later in Ephesians 1, that God has lavished on the Ephesians, what? All wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Genuine wisdom, a person who is genuinely wise, is a person who knows that the single most important thing going down in the world today is God's mission to unite all things in Christ. That's what Paul's saying. And a wise person perceives every other part of our life in light of that reality. That's wisdom, to recognize that the single most important thing going down in the world is God's redemptive mission in Jesus Christ, and then learns to perceive every other area of life in light of that reality. Hey, wisdom, true wisdom, is not education-centered or experience-centered. It's gospel-centered. And that means that the first way we have to look carefully how we walk is by asking ourselves in every area of life, is my conduct in this part of my life in keeping with the truth of the gospel? Does it reflect the truth of the gospel? Because that's the difference between what is unwise and what is wise. What do I mean by that? Well, there is a way of relating to your spouse. Let's get practical, okay? That rightly reflects and responds to the love of God in Christ. And there's a way that doesn't. Okay, there is a way of responding to the sexual desires that rise within us in a way that reflects the purity and holiness of God in Christ. And there is a way that doesn't. There is a way of managing and stewarding the money that God gives us in a way that reflects the generosity of God in Christ? And there's a way that doesn't. Okay, who Jesus is and what he's done makes a claim on our every thought and desire and decision. Think of it this way. Switzerland doesn't exist in the kingdom of God. Why? Because there's no neutral territory. Okay, God doesn't say, well, you know, that part of your life, (laughs) whatever you want. I mean, just small fries, take care of it. No, he doesn't have a hands-off gear. There's no neutral territories, which is why the Lord commands us in verse 16 to what? To make the best use of the time. Now listen, okay? That is not a first century plug for David Allen, personal productivity, and getting things done, okay? The, The point of this, and I've heard this used incorrectly, is not get as much done as possible in as little time as possible. Don't buy that. 
And if you hear somebody use this verse to say that, call them out. Why? Because what Paul's saying here is that we need to seize every moment of life as an opportunity to walk in a manner, Ephesians 4, 1, worthy of the calling we've received. Every moment. No neutral territories. Okay? And I would argue that whether or not we are living in keeping with the claim of the gospel, that's what it means to pursue God's wisdom, that that actually plays out more in all the little decisions of life than it does sometimes in the big ones. What do I mean by that? Well, I, th- I think that most of us, look at history, will make, this is humbling, a very few number of really big decisions before we die. Just being honest. You know, w- will you be a Christian or will you not? Okay? Um, who will you marry? Will you get married? Um, wh- wh- where will you work? Where will you live? Will you go to church? What kind of church? I mean, a handful of really big decisions. But, but then all the rest of our hours are filled with this multitude of smaller decisions. And what can happen, and particularly if you're a middle-aged or an older Christian, is you can console yourself by saying, well, you know, I went with Jesus and all the big stuff. But man, now it's like, I love a, a six-speed, you know? Neutral. Coast at home. You know, I, I did my Christian duty. Found a church, married a Christian. You know, I give money to church. I I hit the big marks. Now we'll just chill. To that, Paul says, you're not making the best use of the time. You've stopped looking at every single little area of your life, every moment, every thought, every decision, and bringing that to God and saying, Lord, how can I right now in this seemingly ordinary, mundane moment walk in a manner worthy of the calling I've received? Don't do that. Because, friends, we live in an evil age. Paul says that. The days are evil. We live in a world that calls evil good, and good evil. It's the air we breathe, and that means that if you stop following Jesus, looking carefully how you walk in all the little areas of life, well, the world around us is quite happy to take care of those decisions for you, and you won't even know it's happening because it's the air we breathe, and before too long, you stop swimming, you start coasting, and eventually your life looks no different than the rest of the world, okay? If there's one part of our life where we have to work hardest to look carefully how we walk, it's the little decisions that seem little. So, I want to offend some people and give you an example. Okay? I want to talk about visual media. If you don't know what that means, movies, YouTube, etc. Okay? Because we're talking about wa- looking carefully how we walk, first way we do that is by pursuing God's wisdom, which is ultimately about saying, Lord, how can I w- live out the claim of the gospel in even these little areas of life? And I think one of the areas of life where we're most quick to say to God, as good Americans, no touchy, is our entertainment. <laughs> okay? So, I know that few things are more sacred to Americans than our movies. I want to watch what I want to watch, and I don't want you to tell me otherwise. I get that. I get it. I also recognize there's not a chapter in 1 Corinthians that starts with now concerning new releases. I get that. But I want to raise this whole area of visual media, folks, because I think it's a great example of an area of life where as Christians we are really good at saying, well, you know, I've went, looked at my concordance, so humble, 
looked in the index, so humble. I didn't see movies. And so I just did whatever I wanted to do. Uh, Dad? Okay, so I can't go to the movie? Prove it. You won't find it. Well, that doesn't sound like the Apostle Paul. Why? Look carefully how you walk. Right? Look carefully how you walk. Understand. If you translate that word, it means to grasp an intelligent, obedient awareness of what the will of the Lord is. So, how does that happen with what we want? Okay? Well, I want to give you some practical questions that you can ask to understand what the will of the Lord is when it comes to your visual media. Okay? Here's the first. This is arguably the most important. Number one, what are the relevant biblical principles? Why do I say that? Because I'm with you. You won't find the word movie in the New Testament Greek vocabulary. Guess what, friends? That does not mean for a split second that God doesn't have a whole lot to say about what you set before your eyes. Okay? The word movie might not show up, but there are principles in Scripture that are exceedingly relevant. Let me give you a couple. Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Should we be wrestling with that when we're working through iTunes? Yeah. Yeah, Romans 12.9. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Job 31. I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Or Psalm 101, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. Or Mark 12, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. I mean, I could go on. I hope that illustrates the point. We have to ask, what are the relevant biblical principles? Second question, what unique temptations and weaknesses in my life should affect the way I apply these principles? Have movies got me in trouble before? Well, you don't have to be a World Series of Poker guy to know that they could again. (laughs) Okay? Number three, do I genuinely want to know what wisdom looks like, or am I just trying to justify some decision I've already made? Been there, done that. Okay? That's not wisdom. That's arrogant. Number four, among the mature Christians I know and trust, who can help me apply these biblical principles? And how are they applying them? Maybe the fact that people around you are applying them in certain ways God wants to use, perhaps, to help you know what you should do. Number five, what are the consequences of making an unwise decision? What are the results of making a wise decision? Number six, will watching this movie diminish my awareness of God, my love for his glory, my desire for holiness? And I find this most helpful. If the Lord was sitting on the couch, would I hit play? Listen, friends. If part of you is like, don't know touchy Williams, hear this. Asking those questions is not legalism. Asking those questions is not trying to earn love or acceptance from God through obedience to God. I don't believe that's possible. 
And I do believe we have to ask these questions. Why? Or questions like them, because we have to look carefully how we walk. That's the claim of the gospel. And movies are just one example. I could give more. The point is, look carefully how you walk. Do that first by pursuing God's wisdom. Okay? Here's the second point. This will be a little shorter. Pursue God's wisdom if you want to walk carefully. Second, be filled with the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit of God. All right. If I told you that the rest of this sermon was going to be all about the Holy Spirit, how many of you would just get so excited? Boom! Knew it, all right? How many of you would get a little nervous? The the hands don't go up. Right, okay. Yeah, well, the reason I do that is not to try to call some of you out, um, though it's very tempting, but because I just want to recognize that some of us come from church backgrounds where 1 Corinthians 14.1 was the most important verse in the Bible. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And some of us come from church backgrounds <coughs> where 1 Corinthians 14.40 was the most important verse in the Bible. But all things should be done decently and in order. You know, I, in case you didn't know, the same guy actually wrote both of those verses, <laughs> and they're found in the same chapter of the Bible, really close to each other, so maybe it doesn't represent two totally different denominations. Maybe. All right, well, if I manage to offend and provoke both camps, I will consider myself successful. Why? Because I think Paul has some things to say here about the Holy Spirit that are exceedingly relevant when it comes to looking carefully how we walk and should really provoke and convict all of us, starting with myself. Okay, so the the place I want to start here is this connection between verses 17 and 18. Because this is the part of Ephesians where it starts to feel like an apostolic buckshot. You know, Paul's just like, well, I I finished talking about Jesus, and now it says, I'm just going to unload on like everything I care about. And it's not really related, it's just here, there, and everywhere. Well, no, there's a connection, all right? Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Here's the connection. Here's the connection. I told you these things were connected. Pursuing God's wisdom, being filled with God's Spirit, okay? Here's the connection. A man who is wise is a man who understands the will of God because he's living under the influence of the Spirit of God. I'll say that again. A man who is wise is a man who understands the will of God, even in all the little areas of life, because that's a man who's living under the influence, yes, a pastor just told you to live under the influence, of the Spirit of God, okay? There's a connection between being filled with God's Spirit and walking in wisdom. And there's a connection between being under the influence of something other than God's Spirit and walking in folly. And Jesus said as much. John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Look carefully how you walk. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance 
all that I have said to you. What's that mean? Well, it's Jesus' way of saying that the Holy Spirit he sends, third person of the Trinity, is given by Christ for a purpose. And that purpose is not to weird you out (laughs) or freak out the church. The purpose is to help us remember Jesus' words and apply and obey Jesus' words in all the areas of life. Namely, to make us more like Christ. The Holy Spirit's goal is not to make much of the freaky spirits. The Holy Spirit's goal is to make much of Christ. And he will do that through spiritual gifts. That's another sermon. Okay? Don't hear what I'm not saying. But the point here, the point here is that we need God's help to walk in wisdom, to look carefully how we walk, and God's eager to help us by filling us with the Spirit. So, don't respond to the challenge of living in an evil world by checking out from the world, which is precisely what we're doing when we're under the influence of alcohol or drugs or some other substance, okay? Instead of that, we have to respond to the challenge, it's a real challenge, of living in an evil world, the days are evil, by embracing, responding, relying on the influence of the Holy Spirit that God pours out so that we can know, we can navigate what wisdom looks like in this evil world. That's what it means to follow Jesus, okay? Now think about this. We need to be very careful here. Paul says in Ephesians 1 that the church is already right now the fullness of Christ. And then in Ephesians 3, he prays that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And then a little later on, he prays that we would be filled with the fullness of God. So you seem a little crazy, Paul. Like, you're saying the church already has the fullness of the Spirit, but yet you're praying that I would be filled with the fullness of the Spirit? Like, I didn't major in English, but that sounds like a contradiction. Well, here's why it's not, okay? We know that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, the one who mediates Christ's presence to his people after he went to be with the Father. He ascended, okay? So there's a sense in which we are already filled with the fullness of Christ through the Holy Spirit, and another sense in which we need to keep on being filled with the fullness of Christ through the Spirit, okay? So the moment you become a Christian, God is fully present in you in all his fullness. The Holy Spirit is a person, not an assembly-required furniture from Ikea. Okay? When he moves into your heart, the moment you're saved, he comes in, the person, entirely, taking his rightful place in the control room of your life such that Paul can say that we are literally temples of the living God. But... To borrow an analogy from our experience, the boxes don't get unpacked all at once. Okay, follow with me here. He moves in entirely, but the boxes don't get all unpacked because the conduct of our life doesn't change overnight the moment you become a Christian, right? Right? Which means, what's going on? Well, we have to learn how to surrender new areas of our life to the Spirit's influence and control so that day by day and year by year, gradually we attain to what? Ephesians 4.13, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So he's fully present, but it takes time for uh, him to accomplish 
his work and for us to learn how to respond to that work so that day by day we're conformed into the image of Christ. So I want to be very practical. When you hear Paul say, be filled with the Spirit, that does not mean you've got to do some nebulous thing where you kind of stand around, swaying to music, twiddling your thumbs until he shows up. Okay? If you're a Christian, being filled with the Spirit, waiting on the Lord in times of worship can be part of this, okay? Being filled with the Spirit means embracing and responding to the work the Spirit is doing to make us more like Jesus in every area of life by helping us learn how to apply the gospel in every area of life, okay? That's the work the Spirit is doing. He is given to help you look carefully how you walk, And Paul gives us some examples, okay? If verse 18 is the command, be filled with the Spirit, verses 19 to 21 illustrate what that results in. This is what Paul's saying here. Three results, evidences, conclude with this, of what a Spirit-filled person looks like. So if you're thinking, Matthew, I want to pursue God's wisdom so I can look carefully how I walk. I want to be filled with God's Spirit so I can look carefully how I walk. Well, how do I know if I'm being filled with God's Spirit? How do I know if I'm increasingly surrendering and coming under the influence of, in greater and greater ways, this work that he's doing or trying to do in me to make me like Jesus? How do I know that? Well, let me tell you. Paul tells us. First, a Spirit-filled Christian, I love this, is marked by expressive worship. Expressive worship. It's striking to me that the very first thing Paul points to and says, yep, that's a person who's living under the influence of the Spirit. Is that person singing? Isn't that interesting? They're singing. They're singing. A Spirit-filled Christian cannot keep their mouth shut. Why not? Well, because the Spirit of God delights to exalt the glory of does he not? Okay? And so if the Holy Spirit is increasingly filling your life, coming under his influence in greater and greater ways, well then, you're going to be singing, and you're not going to be able to shut up. And notice in verse 19 that this singing moves in two directions. Two directions. We sing to one another, and we sing to the Lord. Now, this could be a whole other sermon. Oh, this is hard my first week back. <laughs> but hear this, okay? Hear this. I think we're on the whole not too uncomfortable with the notion of, yeah, we come on Sunday, we sing to the Lord. But what's up with this singing to one another? What's up with that, okay? We, we, here's what Paul's saying. The Holy Spirit delights to magnify the glory of God, produce song, but he also delights to edify the people of God. And he's going to get that done through our singing. When I hear you singing, God uses your voice to stir faith in my heart that what I'm singing is true and that I can really believe it. He does. There's something that happens in the spiritual realm when God's people sing together. Okay? So so I want to illustrate this. I want all of you to stand up. Help me out here. Just stand up. Okay, you can trust me, usually. All right, projection, I want us to silently read 
the chorus of 10,000 reasons. Let's go ahead and put that up. Okay, join me. We're going to silently read this. Don't say anything. Okay, stop. Now, I want you to sing this with me with all your heart. Okay, ready? Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. Worship your holy name. Good, you're all hired for the worship team. You can sit down. All right? Question Which one edified your soul more? The second. Thank you, Charlene. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Here's the difference, okay? Whether you think your voice is glorious or hideous, God is using it to build up the saints around you. When we gather, know that you are not just singing to a screen or to God in the right-hand corner of the room because that's where he lives. No. (laughs) You're singing to the people around you. And very practically, that's why I don't let the lights get turned down so low in here that we can't see each other. I'm dead serious. And I try to make sure that the volume isn't turned up so loud, though I love loud music, that we can't hear each other. Why? Because what's the goal of Sunday morning is not to have these individual, private, sealed experiences with Jesus where other people just fade away. It's all about you and nobody else that's around me. No! No! The Spirit of God wants to use your voice to edify and encourage, stir faith, and the people around you so that you can look carefully how you walk. Spirit-filled Christian, expressive worship. Here's the second evidence. Spirit-filled Christian, consistent gratitude. Oh, man. I'm convicted when I read verse 20 and Paul says, what's this look like, being filled with the Spirit? It looks like giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I read that and I think this, oh, Lord, why can't you have said giving thanks sometimes and for certain things in the name of God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ? Because then I could keep complaining, which is a recreational pastime, and I wouldn't have to change. That's not what he says. Always and for everything. Why? Because as the Spirit of God delights to magnify his glory in song, he likes to celebrate his goodness and gratitude. May God help us to be like King David. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, all right? And all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so your youth is renewed like the eagles. You've got good reason, if you're a Christian, to be exceedingly grateful. Spiritual Christian, marked by expressive worship, consistent gratitude, and lastly, wrap up with this, reverent submission. Look at verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Oh, there is a minefield to navigate here. When Paul says... 
that being filled with the Spirit results in submitting to one another. He's not talking about some sort of relational democracy where nobody has any authority over anybody else. Nor is he speaking of a general attitude of of deference or consideration that all Christians should show each other. Though that's biblical. That's not what he's talking about here. Submitting is a strong word. In its context, in that culture, it was all about ordering yourself under structured relationships of authority. Oh, we hate that as Americans. We hate that. But Paul says, Paul says that submitting to one another, what he means by that, is explained by everything that follows in verses 22 through chapter 6, verse 9. Again, like with wisdom, he doesn't give us the luxury of saying, oh, well, I think submitting to one another looks like this. No, he's far too wise of a pastor. He tells us what it looks like. And his point is simple. If you're filled with the Spirit, you will live in glad submission to the authorities that God has placed in your life. It's true. It's true. Wives will submit to husbands. Children will submit to parents. Slaves will submit to masters. And I just raised a thousand questions in your mind, and I know it which is why we're going to take the next three weeks to look at each of those relationships. What I want you to see here, this point, take home today, is that being filled with the Spirit looks like, it's one of the top three evidences, submitting yourself to the authorities God's placed over you. That's a tall order. But it's another example of where we can't say, oh God, authority, you know, I'd like to look carefully how I walk in every area, but that. Oh, he always puts his finger on that and says, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Do it, okay? Look carefully how you walk, friends. Look carefully how you walk. Pursue the wisdom of God. Be filled with the spirit of God. And please recognize that those are ultimately two sides of the same coin, right? The man who is pursuing God's wisdom where the woman is always a man or woman who is living under the influence of God's Spirit because it's God's Spirit that helps us to pursue His wisdom. Praise God that the Lord who says, look carefully how you walk, helps us get it done. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we need more of your Spirit because we need more of his work and activity to make us in every area of life more like Jesus. Father, I pray right now that as we learn this this new song, listen to this new song that gives voice to our need for your Holy Spirit, our desire for your Spirit, our thirst for his influence and power in our life, that you would bring us under his influence. Lord, I pray you would make Kingsway a church that is known for being under the influence of the spirit of the living God. Would you do that in our midst? Help us now as we, we also worship you, we submit to you, bring your tithes and offerings. God, I, I pray for all of us here who whether we think about our our money, we think about our relationships, whatever the area may be, that 
There's a part of our hearts that's like, no touchy, God. Back off. Would you give us humility? If there would not be an asterisk next to look carefully how you walk, an exception, we want to bring every area of life, take up our cross, and follow you. Give us more of your spirit so we can do that. Amen.